the thing is, you can't have it all. No. Like, nobody is strong in all areas. <laughs> that's just not how... Speak for yourself, everybody and welcome to another episode of the Bake Down podcast, our last episode in this series. Oh, makes me a bit sad, but we've had fun and uh, we have another episode for you. We bring you the final. We have our three lovely finalists, Kimberly, Francis and Ruby. And we have our three lovely bakers here with us today. We have Jane, Dan and Howard. So here we go, guys, the last episode of the season. It's going to be a while before we're podcasting again with the new series. It is, and I shall miss this pair. Oh, well, all three of you, but I'll see you regularly, Sarah, but I don't see Howard and Dan regularly, and I know it's difficult to believe, but I'll really miss them. Oh, I miss you, Jane. I think September will come round faster than you yeah, think. Yeah, that's true. You're probably right. You're probably yeah, right. The years, the years race by, don't they? Well, they do when you get to my age. No, it is sad. It's uh, it's sort of a nice part of my weekly routine at the moment, uh, having a little chat about baking and people who actually care about it uh, <laughs> that I can chat with. Uh, so. Well, let's kick off then and start our final week. So we started off with a signature challenge was a savoury picnic pie. Uh, the fillings have to create a creative design and it has to be strong enough to be served out of the tin. And this was a three hour challenge. Now, Howard, what did you think of this challenge? Was it a, a good one to start? Because I believe Paul wanted to get them having a go at pastry again. I can understand that, but I, I must admit, I can't understand why they forced them to do short crust. Cause generally you would do a kind of hot water crust for something like this i think to give it that that kind of solidity but yeah lovely lovely challenge i think both francis and ruby went for a kind of variation on a stripe didn't they and uh, kimberly was trying something a bit more ambitious but lovely challenge and they seemed generally to have good results well kimberly maybe not so but oh. yeah such a disappointment you could hear the disappointment in her voice she was like no what a week to make such a mistake it was so so sad because the other two pies had sort of turned out you know physically they looked sort of structurally they sort of looked really good i think we've all made a mistake like that in the tent but to be so strong and then to have the first challenge do something like that is uh yeah doesn't doesn't set you up very well does it for the rest of the week Uh, the the problem was i think well i don't know I'm assuming you didn't get the brief for the final, Howard, because we didn't get the brief for the final until uh, semi-finalists and finalists got the brief. So we only had a couple of weeks to practice. And, of course, we didn't really have a couple of weeks to practice because we were back in the tent in no time at all for the semi-finals. And I think something like this, you need to cook it for a long time. I remember for one of my auditions for Bake Off, I took a, a meat pie and we've done it in, we've done a meat pie in a class and we all know it takes a good hour, if not an hour and 20 minutes to get it baked all the way through. And then of course it needs to cool in order to be able to take it out of the tin. And I think perhaps had Kimberly had more time to practice, she would have realised that the pie just needed longer. It just needed longer to cook and then longer cooling. And a meat pie was not a great one to choose for this challenge in three hours. Because I thought hers was the tastiest. I mean, I'm a meat eater. I love it. I thought hers was by far the the one I wanted to eat. It did sound fantastic. Sounded absolutely fantastic. 
It's just time. Time killed her. I loved the idea of the stripy pastry, the little pigs. I thought it was just, it was, the design I thought was more, more Francis than Kimberly. Yeah, that's a good point. Oh, I know my heart absolutely broke for her. I really did. They must have all been told to do it in the same tin as well. Because if you remember, Kim- Kimberly's wonderful freeform pie earlier on in the series was absolutely amazing. But they had to do it in a tin. Mm. And that shaped tin, perhaps they were all briefed on that. Yeah, my hop absolutely broke for them. So this was Kimberly's beautiful chicken and pig pie with a white, pink and green pastry. It had stripes and little pigs down the side, which looked adorable. Uh, it had a chicken mousse. There were some pistachios in there. They might have been in the mousse or maybe in the pate. I'm not sure, but there was a pancetta and pork pate and a black pudding centre. And my mouth's watering now just saying those words because it sounded amazing. Wasn't it lovely, I have to say, virtually all the way through to have so much detail about what was going oh, in the bed? so oh, nice. I actively left bits out because I thought, oh, OK, I'll remember that. <laughs> oh, so much detail. I just enjoyed writing it all down. Well, we also had some lovely rainbow-striped pies from both Francis and Ruby, very similar. Uh, Francis had a rainbow picnic pie, turmeric rice, rainbow and smoked trout, and five veggies. I think we had some red pepper. I think we had some asparagus in there as well. Ruby's beautiful picnic basket pie was a vegetarian pie with halloumi, mozzarella, couscous, sun-dried tomatoes, oregano and basil. All sounded really nice, to be fair. No, Jane, do you disagree? Well, halloumi in a pie, goodness me. Halloumi is great when it's hot, isn't it? But can you imagine how wubbly that would have been by the time it <laughs> hit the picnic picnic blanket? I'm sorry, the, the halloumi just made me go, oh, no, thank you. <laughs> I, I mean, it looks gorgeous and her basket weave pastry was stunning she did a great job and then oh i wasn't sure i fancied all the trout in there to be honest it did uh, no they did they looked beautiful but they it, it actually um they're making my stomach turn just by thinking of them this morning. <laughs> okay little harsh jane well, um, they're just not my flavors no, i mean i'm no. sure they were delicious they're just not my flavors and halloumi it really has to be hot for me it, it as soon as it goes cold, I'm not interested at all. So they looked beautiful. They got the layers in there beautifully. Very clever putting the rice in and the couscous in to keep it dryish, so that you didn't get all that seepage. But frankly, I would have rather have had a bit of seepage and some flavour rather than no. And the trout, I, they didn't do it for me. But I'm not a huge fish person to be honest. So I trust the judges. They said they were great. So I, I, I believe I'll have to believe them. I would generally agree, except that this was a picnic pie. And so whilst I don't mind a bit of slightly soggy pastry in real life, uh, as long as the pie tastes amazing, if you are going to take it to a picnic, it does need to be quite structural. Oh, I agree. Yeah, absolutely. It does need to be very structural, which goes back to what Howard said. Use a hot water crust or something. Mm. In, in the time, it's the time, the whole time thing. That needs a really good chilling down if you're going to put anything too baked in it, I think. Or the filling is a little bit dry. The fillings didn't set me alight. But I can understand why they did them. I can really understand why they did them. I did love Ruby, though. I, I just thought the, the basket weave was so neat. And she had sort of a, a bit of a weave in the, the sides of the tin as well. Ruby feels through so much anxiety. When uh, she turned out, she's like, oh, oh, no. Oh, no. Oh, it's good. <laughs> 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 
What was that? And she was literally having a breakdown over nothing. Uh, she's like, oh yeah, it's fine. Oh, it's thanks. Yeah, good. But yeah, it looks, I thought has looked stunning. I'm a big fan of sort of, you know, a nice repeating pattern done neatly. And uh, she, I thought she absolutely nailed it. I thought her looked fantastic. But I wasn't so excited by the flavours either, Jane. But I thought it was, you know, technically a very good signature from both uh, Ruby and Francis there. I think you've also got to remember that we are talking 10 years ago and halloumi and sun-dried tomatoes were very... Exotic! Yes, exactly! <laughs> oh, OK. Almost as exotic as Norman's pesto. Goodness me. Yeah. Well, I know. <laughs> you know they make Yorkshire halloumi now, so halloumi doesn't just come from Greece. I believe they call it squeaky cheese. Yeah. Or halloumal. Halloumal. Well, I would just like to talk a little bit about a Bake Off conspiracy theory that was coming through there. The idea that Ed Kimber won the first series of Bake Off. Series two and three were both won by people with a W as a surname, which is excellent use for Kimberly Wilson to win. And then we find out that Kimberly's boyfriend is called Giuseppe, a future winner of the Bake Off. Oh. Conspiracy <laughs> theory. <laughs> Yeah. It's a shame she didn't win. The stars are aligning. <laughs> yeah. And then she, spoiler alert, didn't win. But I, I liked the idea of the conspiracy theory. I thought that was quite fun. The thing with Kimberly is, I think it's weird, because normally when someone's desperate to win, it kind of makes them a bit unlikable. But even though Kimberly was obviously desperate to win, I still loved her for it. I think because she was unashamed about wanting to win, maybe. I loved Kimberly when that season was airing. She just had a quiet competence to her. And I think if you were going to place your bets going into it, well, I know I think Ruby had the best track record, but I think Kimberly was the person I would have trusted to keep her head level. It was weird, wasn't it? Because I think with the signature, clearly Ruby, I think, edged it. I think she was, I think she was the strongest in that. I would agree. And then obviously... Kimberly, I think, was the only one really who got a bit of technique with a technical. And so I think it, it, it was almost anybody's to win and anybody's to lose, really, wasn't it? It's interesting that when you talk about flavours and technique and so on and knowledge, it's, it's, it's really Kimberly, isn't it? I just, there's so many of her things that have been delicious, especially the canapes mm. uh, last week with the, you know, the little buns and the little wasabi crab. It's like so much of her food makes me go, ooh, that sounds so nice. Mm. So I think definitely Kimberly for food. Her phyllo pie as well looked amazing. But I think we've seen over the week, she's just struggled a little bit with kind of decorative cake type stuff. Mm. Yeah. I, I think that that's the one area that's just not been her kind of forte really is it no that's been francis's yeah. sort of yeah. area of expertise the thing is you can't have it all no. like nobody is strong in all areas <laughs> that's just not speak how speak for yourself <laughs> <laughs> i would just like to speak about something that paul said at the end when judging rubies and I think this is something that somebody's brought up in one of their questions when we're talking about Francis's style of a substance. Paul leans into Ruby and says, you've come up with something that looks like Francis made it. And it's like, yeah, dude, you've down. been bragging on her every week. And now all of a sudden you're using her as a benchmark. I just felt a bit mean. I don't know. Also, it feels a bit like it's, it's, not, it's not an insult. No. But then by the same token, it's like, 
why are you are you saying I'm normally rubbish at decorating? Do you know what I mean? It's, it's kind of, <laughs> yes. it's like when people say, oh, you look really nice today. And you're like, oh, just today, eh? You know, oh, like, God, grow up, Dan. You're supposed to just say, thank you. You look lovely too. Thank you. Here's your haircut. Yes, you're not supposed to say that. <laughs> Dan, may I just say how lovely you're looking today? <laughs> thank you. Just today. That pink really goes with your eyes, darling. <laughs> thank you. It's to make the boys wait. <laughs> what I also love about these uh, final episodes is we get to have a little bit of an intro into the Baker's families, which is always really sweet to see. And I really loved that Frances has blamed her lack of substance on her mum's inability to taste anything. <laughs> Bless her. We mums get blamed for everything. Oh. Seriously, everything. And of course, this was pre-COVID, so she didn't even have that to blame it on. No. That's very odd. I, if I couldn't taste anything, I don't know. I think I'd be miserable. I don't know what I'd, where I'd find my joy in life. I do. There's a reason I'm a little bit chubby. It's uh, I find all my joy in eating. But it was so lovely to see uh, Kimberly's sister as well as Ruby's mom, and it's just lovely to see them all going. Oh, I know they want it so much, and oh, it's nice to see parents just being proud of their yeah. kids, really, isn't yeah, it? Yeah, absolutely. It's, it's lovely. Well, as I think we've mentioned, it seemed to be Ruby who was pulling out in front there at the end of the signature challenge. Mary Berry said it looked very special, very uniform, good bake, wonderful layers, excellent pie. Kimberly, as as we've spoken, had a bit of a soggy bottom. The flavour was nice, but everything was just a little bit gluey in the middle, so possibly at the bottom of the pack there. And Francis in the middle with impressive lattice work, good pastry with nice straight sides. They did look fantastic, but maybe just needed a few more minutes baking. So there we go. That's our ranking for the signature. So on to our technical and Paul and Mary wanted 12 perfectly shaped pretzels, six savoury, um, I believe just seasoned with some salt and six sweet, that's a lot of S's, uh, flavoured with poppy seeds and orange and we had two and a half hours for that. Jane, was this a technical you would have liked to have done? Had I been doing it then, possibly not because I don't eat pretzels really and I probably hadn't made them. If we were going to be doing it now, I have made bagels and it's, apart from the shaping, putting them in hot water with baking soda for a very short length of time and then baking them, I would have known how to do it. So I think it depends on what stage in my baking I would have been asked to do this challenge. I thought I would give them a go now because although we don't eat them very often, we don't see them here at all, really, down where I live, down in the country. I think they look quite nice to turn out for a party with dips and things like that. So I think I might give them a go because I I just want to get that shaping right. Anyway, yes, I I quite like the challenge, actually. It was interesting. I'd love to have read those instructions on how they should have shaped them because I've looked up Paul Hollywood's recipe. It tries to describe how you sort of flip them and twist them. And actually, everybody else on the internet just says, this is how you shape them. You don't really have to flip them and twist them. You can just twist them around each other on the bench and shape them that way. So I think it was a bit mean, the instructions, by the sound of it. But no, it's good. Interesting to watch. I, I enjoyed watching them do it, I must admit. So let's face it. It's on the telly so we can enjoy watching it. And it certainly ticked that box for me. Of course. Yeah, it's good. It's good TV, isn't it? 
I think that's the kind of technique that someone would use if they're making sort of, you know, 200 bagels an hour. You know, they might do that. But in real life, you just twist the strands around each other and stick them, stick them back together. I make pretzels actually quite a bit. I love eating them with sort of a nice ch- chunky pickle filled mustard. Uh, basically, pretzels and mustard is delicious. It's very German. The trick really to the shaping them is to roll them out a lot thinner than you think because they all come back together into like a bread roll if you're not careful, which is what happened to a lot of them. And uh, I dare say that wasn't uh, particularly surprising. I don't think I've ever made a sweet pretzel that I can think of. I, I'm struggling to think what that would have been like. Was it orange and poppy seed? Was that what it was? With a glaze on it, didn't it? it had an orange glaze on it. I'm not still not really sure how I feel about that. I think I just feel like pretzels should just be stick to their lane and be pretzels, to be honest. Now, Dan, you and me have had this conversation when you've done a pretzel class before. I absolutely love a uh, a sweet pretzel, just covered in cinnamon sugar, almost like a churros. Beautiful, and I will stand up for sweets, for sweet pretzels. I mean, cinnamon sugar is selling me slightly, yeah. but I still just prefer the salty sort of classic, uh, classic version. But yeah, I think I as similar to Jane. Like now, I make pretzels quite a bit, so I would have absolutely nailed this challenge. But ten years ago, did I know? Possibly not. And also, one of the things I wrote on this episode is that Ruby is like ten years younger than me, and this was obviously ten years ago now. Like, so she was twenty-one. And I think I did. I don't think I knew anything when I was twenty-one. I mean, you know, outside of you know making the hundred odd recipes I've made from cookbooks. So uh, when someone that young is doing so well, it's very impressive. Yeah, I agree. We've seen some fabulous young bakers over the years, though, haven't we? I mean, young Peter, I think, wasn't he one of the youngest winners? But we've had some fantastic bakers. But then they might have been baking for ten years with their, you know, a parent or a, a who or a grandparent who teaches them, you know, from 10 or 5 or something. And we've seen Manon baking with her young daughter. And I don't know how old she is, but she can't be much more than about three or four. So I don't think it's necessarily age. It's the amount of experience you've had at home doing it. But that, having said that, we had Chigs couple of series ago didn't we who had only had about 18 months experience so it's how interested you are how much you cram in or how long you've been doing it I don't think it's necessarily age that we've had some plenty of old bakers on the show who really haven't exactly excelled (laughs) over the years so I'm not sure could you give me a week off Jane honestly (laughs) (laughs) You're young to me, Dan. You're young enough to Thanks, be darling. my son. Right? You're young enough to be my son. He's pointed that out before. I know he has. Yeah, yes. Yes. Yeah. I have to say, my, my children are better behaved. Yeah, that's not a challenge. <laughs> well, yes, it was a good challenge. Um, definitely some some faffing with the shaping. And uh, Was it Kimberly that just went for a kind of like a throw up in the air, twizzle them around and slap them back down on the bench? was sort of making me a bit stressed just watching them (laughs) yeah because they would have kept ruining their dough i think i would have just ignored the instructions and just twisted it it was obvious they meant just put a full twist in it didn't they so uh, i i think i would have just ignored the instructions i'm a big one for ignoring recipes and doing them my own way as jane and howard know Mm, indeed But something they put in the recipe uh, was some malt extract in the dough, which I thought was um, interesting. Is that something that gets put in um, pretzels a lot? 
Sometimes. So you can put it in bread, like for example, when I first learned to make sourdough, the recipe that I discovered and liked used malt extract. It gives it a little bit of sugar, obviously, and it helps with yeast, but it gives it sort of a, a flavour, well, a malty flavour, obviously. So yeah, you can add it. I don't know how traditional it is, to be honest. I don't think I add malt extract to my pretzels. No, I don't think I do. Otherwise, I would remember if I did. I'm looking at a recipe from... Sally's Baking Addiction, who I, we all love. And guys listening in the US will know Sally very, very well. And, and she's great. And I'm just looking at her pretzel recipe. And she puts in brown sugar in hers. And, and I just guess malt just gives you, does the same thing. Having talked to Dan last series, maybe, or even the series before, when you said you'd put malt extract in your bread, which I never never do and I do all the time now especially when I do one that's baked in a, a Dutch oven because it gives a really lovely flavour to a loaf um, with a little bit of wholemeal flour and not too much so thank you Dan for that a couple of years ago um, I think it would make a nice addition to a pretzel to be perfectly honest just give not too much but just yeah I think that would be really lovely it might be nice in a bagel as well so Howard pretzel something you've done a lot before how would you have fared on this challenge this is one of those things, thinking back to one of the previous series where I, I, I admitted that it was years since I had a Kit Kat. <laughs> I've had those little pretzels that you get in tubs or packets or whatever, but I can't recall ever having had a big proper pretzel. Howard, you've not lived. No. Oh, Howard, they're no. amazing. Do they not have them at sports sports matches and stuff? Is that not a thing? Oh, what or... am I doing at a sports do, do Christmas match? markets? No. <laughs> <laughs> no, your audience. Dad, <laughs> I'm, I'm, it, Christmas shopping. I'm doing that online. I don't. I don't get out, do I? So it's, this is why I'm missing out on pretzels. Howard, we shall get you some pretzels, one way or another. Or you, you can make some now because you know how long to bathe them for. You know not to bathe them as long as uh, Ruby and, and Francis. No, no. I was a bit horrified with that because I was thinking that's a bit like a bagel. Please don't leave them in as long as that. No, they look all wrinkly, don't yeah. they? <laughs> Ruby was like, oh, I've done they a do. minute. Ten seconds will do it. Yeah. A minute now. Yeah. Like, yeah, no. Did you say ten seconds, Dan? I just do ten seconds, yeah. So in Paul Hollywood's recipe, just to let you know, he says put them in that water bath with the baking soda for five seconds. Dan's saying ten seconds. And Sally from Sally's Baking Addiction says 20 to 30 seconds. Oh, well, if somebody fancies doing a taste test, you could make one of each, bathe one for 5, 10 and then 20 seconds and see which one tastes better. What it does, the boiling, it sort of cooks the outside a little bit to sort of restrict the rise of it. So it depends how close and chewy you want it, I guess. But yeah, you don't want to overdo it because then it will be very tight. And that's not, I mean, the chewiness and the tightness is part of it, but there's a, there's a line, there's a limit, you know, to how much you want that. Well, that was our pretzel technical challenge. So in third, we had Francis. Uh, I think Ruby really thought it was going to be her, but Francis was third. Apparently not well-shaped, overbathed, and a good, good middle, uh, but a bit pale. And Ruby was second. Pretzel was looking pretty good, but lost its colour. Again, overbathing, massively overbathing, and a bit soft. And Kimberly came in first, decently shaped, uh, the best colour and a good bake and a really good flavour. But I think Paul was not impressed with anybody. So he was like, it's the one that looks most like a pretzel, but don't clap. 
because it wasn't good. And it was like, okay, <laughs> yeah, fair yeah. Yeah. Thanks, Paul. But I would just like to point out that Paul held up one of Francis's and said, this is a roll. This is a roll. This is not a pretzel. And it's like, Paul, I can see the daylight through the holes. Yeah, yeah. It's pretzel-ish. It's not bad. It's better yeah. than I would have made. Oh, Paul. Yeah, but you do, you really do have to roll them a lot thinner than you think. I always, when I have a class for this, and I've thought a few times, I say, roll it as thin as you think, and then roll it half as thick as that. You know, it's really, they really do need to be to be quite thin. And I'm not surprised they all end up as balls. Yeah, but it, the thing is, with the technical, if you haven't made them before, you don't know these things. And, uh, you know, I think, I'm sure it would have been a delicious bread either way, just maybe wasn't the sort of iconic pretzel shape. And only two and a half hours, really. So how long would you prove them for? About an hour, Dan, because it's quite enriched, isn't it? Uh, to be honest, they don't have much of a second prove because uh, it doesn't matter if they're fairly tight. No, not really. They just have a short second prove. I think I could have done it in two and a half hours. I think I, I think I did my class in two and a half hours, believe it or not, Jane. So yeah, I think it could, <laughs> it could be done. <laughs> Well, let's move on to some questions. Uh, thank you so much. A massive thank you to everyone who sent us in some questions while we've been doing this podcast series. Uh, your questions have been really interesting. And thank you so much for taking the time to message us. Now, I was very remiss last week because the lovely Jaya, who sent us in some questions, actually sent in another one after that, which I missed. So I do heartily apologise and I attempt to correct that now by asking Jaya's last question. So Jaya says, I noticed that not all the benches have a sink and I wonder also how the water gets in there, given the filming is done in a tent on a, you know, in a big field with no plumbing. Is there a tank or something underneath, underneath the sinks that's filled up? And how does it work when there's no sink on your bench? Do you use the one from the bench behind? Well, Jaya really has to know everything, yes. she? She's really thought this through. <laughs> Absolutely. Go on, Jane, spill the secrets. There's no secret, is there? I just, no, there definitely aren't sinks on each bench and there are tanks underneath. So there's a tank for the clean water coming through and there's a tank for the wastewater, which, as you would imagine, fills up and depletes very quickly. So they have to come and replace if you're washing your hands or attempting to wash up. And one week I had an absolutely filthy cold and requested to have a bench with a sink because I wanted, didn't want to be blowing my nose and then immediately sticking my hands in dough and things. I thought that wouldn't look very nice for camera. So they let us, uh, they, they gave me a bench with a sink. But yes, you just have to sort of nip around and use another sink or not do any washing up. Just stick it on the floor and let somebody take it away and wash it up for you. And just nip around and wash your hands as and when you need to. It's not very technical. No, um, but having the sink was a mixed blessing because if you had a sink, you had less counter space. So it it was a bit of a trade-off. It seemed like a nice thing to have it, but actually you couldn't fit as much on your on your bench. Yeah, I didn't I didn't really like having a sink. It wasn't it wasn't my favourite. And also if you go around someone else's bench, you could be a bit nosy and see what they were up to. Uh-huh. Especially in the technical, it's quite <laughs> handy. You're like, what are you doing? <laughs> you wouldn't have been allowed Just to in a technical. A bit you? of side eye, being like, what's going on over here? How would what did you prefer? Sink or no sink? Yeah, the running water is is handy, but actually uh, Dan's right, the, the the sink itself takes up a bit too much space, so probably prefer... Can I have a little sink, please? You can. We'll let you. <laughs> Go on, Thank then. You. Go on, then, because it's you. 
Well, there we go. Thank you very much, Jaya. Uh, and I hope I've answered all the questions now. Uh, sorry, I missed that one last week. And our final question here is from Heidi. She sent this in via social media, so I don't think I actually saw where she was calling from. But hello, Heidi. Uh, and she wants to talk about French Pastry Week. She says, I cannot remember the last time I used plastic wrap or cling film. So, Jane, you'll be happy there. But if I were to attempt the Charlotte Royale or some other moulded dish, what do you use to line the bowl? Also, in the past, when I've made pastry cream, I would press plastic wrap into it to prevent a skin from forming. So what do you use instead? Jane, why don't you take that one? Okay, well, certainly if you have done a class with me where we're making pastry cream, um, and I'm cooling it quite quickly because we've got to get it cool for a class, I just press non-stick baking paper onto the surface. All you want is something that stops the air getting to the surface. So you just make sure you press it right down onto the surface. Um, if you want to, because you're finding it a bit bouncy, which I never do really, you could just sort of dampen it down a bit and press it onto the surface. Similarly for the Charlotte Royale, line it with some non-stick baking paper. You've just got to get something to help you get it out. If you're worried about it being crumpled when you put it in, you could just lay strips. You could cut strips and so that you just lift the strips out and then you have some nice straight strips. Um, you can find all sorts of ways of doing these things. To be honest, not using cling film has not hindered me one little bit. You just need to think. Even if you're doing, if you see in those professional cooking shows where they're making, what do they call them, balutines of chicken, say, where you roll them and then they they put them in cling film and then they put them in a water bath or something, you can get away with doing that with paper if you want to and then wrapping it in foil. You know, there is, I think, no excuse really for using cling film. It just makes life a little bit easier, but life in the kitchen easier, not life in the world easier. So I would say just think, think a little bit and you can find solutions for most things. Yes, I think I wholeheartedly agree there. And especially yes, when you're wrapping things, I've seen a lot of people do it where you pipe buttercream uh, in stripes and then you roll it up in cling film and stick the whole thing into a piping bag to get swirls. Oh, you could use your baking paper as well couldn't you just wrap it tightly absolutely you could and and what worries me about that is they probably wrap it up in cling film and put it in a bag so they get their three stripes and then throw the whole plastic bag away including the cling film so you've got your double triple amount of um, single-use plastic going into the bin yeah use some paper to wrap it up if you must or go for slightly less perfect stripes well, lovely. Thank you so much, uh, Jaya and Heidi. And again, thank you to everybody who has sent in questions. And we hope you will all have some wonderful questions for us when we return for 2023's Bake Off series sometime in the autumn. And now we have our final showstopper of the season. Uh, but before we get on to that, I uh, believe we have one last Bake Along class to talk about. Thank you so much to everybody who's come to all of our Bake Along classes. We've made some quite wonderful and fantastic things and we hope you've all found a recipe that you will enjoy making again. But we have one final class. Now, Dan, you are going to be taking this one for us, aren't you? Can you tell us a little bit about what you're going to be doing? Yeah, sure. So I am going to be doing a sort of wedding style cake, uh, which is really just my own interpretation on it. We're not going to be spending six hours making a 
three-tiered cake. Do not panic. Uh, we're going to be making a sort of nice tall uh, one-tier cake. There'll be a lemon and elderflower cake. I'll teach you how to sort of crumb coat it nicely, fingers crossed. And uh, we're going to do some nice buttercream flowers on it as well, which is a timeless decoration. So yeah, that's something to look forward to. And it's a class that I'll enjoy teaching because it's one of my preferred ways to decorate a cake. I'll be giving away all of my secrets. Fantastic. So yes, if anybody wants to learn how to crumb coat a cake properly, how to do buttercream decoration, please do come along to this class with Dan. It will be on Sunday the 7th of May. And that is our last Bake Along Challenge class. Now, Dan, let's just tackle this here in the podcast so hopefully we can reach a lot of people with this. We have discovered that elderflower cordial, which is something you will be using in the recipe, is not necessarily available everywhere, especially in the States. So can you suggest something we could use as a substitute? No, I would just say if I didn't have elderflower cordial, what I would honestly probably do is just replace that with a bit of lemon juice, like fresh lemon juice, and just do a sort of very lemony cake. I don't think that there's anything you could directly sort of substitute that with that would that would make any sense, I'm afraid. Yeah, no, I mean, it is available through online retailers, but it is, I think, believe quite expensive in some parts of the world. It's available in regular supermarkets in England. I didn't realise it was uh, sort of a, a rare thing. There you go. I've learned something today. Excellent. And do feel free to contact us uh, if you have any questions regarding the recipe. Uh, But yes, if you can't find elderflower cordial, please don't let that stop you. Come and join Dan's lemon and maybe elderflower or maybe just lemon. (laughs) Maybe (laughs) Maybe elderflower. elderflower. I like like the name of that. (laughs) (laughs) It's good, isn't it? We've spent a long time thinking of it. This is Dan's wedding cake class uh, on Sunday the 7th of May. Well, here we go, guys. The showstopper, the big one, the final. We had, as as we've just said, a three-tiered wedding cake, which was a six-hour challenge. That makes me tired just saying that. It was a big, big challenge. Now, Jane, is that something you would have liked to have attempted in the tent? Yes, I would. I would have really liked to have attempted that in the tent. And when I think back to our botanicals week I think it was and we were doing two or three tier cakes in a lot less time than that I think I would have felt very comfortable with the six hours of course time in the tent goes by really really fast but yeah I'd have given that one a good go I think it I think it's nice the problem is Mary Berry does not like semi-naked cakes and I'm not even sure 10 years ago they were terribly popular I know she didn't like them when they were done in our year I think planned well it was achievable course when we're all planning our recipes for these things uh, we don't necessarily plan well actually but um, yeah I think it a good challenge and certainly for the viewers uh, you know I, I remember watching this series with my daughter and we love a good wedding cake or three-tier showstopper um, for the final I think that's what it should be it should be a real wow factor challenge and I think this was whether they achieved it totally is another matter but I think it gave you some great opportunities We will come to that in a moment, but let's just have a very, very quick rundown of what flavours we had in there. And then I'll let you guys let rip on the judging. So Frances's was a Midsummer Night's Dream wedding cake and her layers were rhubarb and ginger, lemon and raspberry, carrot, apricot and orange. And she had the beautiful dried fruit 
confetti. Kimberly's was a languages of love wedding cake with a raspberry chocolate layer, orange and pistachio checkerboard layer and lemon elderflower poppy seed layer with some sugar paste and fondant decoration and Ruby had a raspberry lemon and passion fruit wedding cake with raspberry lemon and passion fruit layers. Quite nice and simple there with some lovely Victoria sponge cakes all the way through. Now Howard, which was your favourite cake of the three? I was really fortunate to be in the position where I actually tasted them because obviously they brought the cakes out for the past bakers. Ah, yes, of course. To have a little bit of a sample, which was lovely. So I, I must admit, they were they were all really, really lovely cakes, but I think Francis and Ruby's were just so light and beautifully flavoured. Oh, and of, of course, at this point, we couldn't see what the finished cakes looked like because we they'd been dismantled. But <laughs> I was certainly hoping that, that Frances had pipped it. You did seem to suggest that she might be the winner uh, on the little talking heads. You you said, oh, and then there was Frances and she's really good. So you predicted the winner, didn't you? I did. It was, it was weird, actually, because when the programme was broadcast uh, on the day of the final... They asked the three of us who'd kind of expressed a preference to kind of head up the team. So I was Team Francis supporting her. And I think, uh, yeah, there was, was it Becca supporting Kimberly, I think, and Glenn supporting Ruby. So, yeah. Oh, so they really sort of separate you into teams. (laughs) Weird. Jane, what were your thoughts on the design of this challenge? Because Howard obviously said he could taste all the different ones but couldn't see the, the outside. We obviously could as the viewers. So, Jane, what did you think of the outside of the cakes? And the outside of the cakes, I thought Francis nailed it, more or less. They it was a, they were a little bit wonky, but I thought in true Francis fashion, she had a beautiful design for the time. I love the idea of the confetti. I'm not a great beetroot or sweet potato fan, but I'm sure once they were turned into confetti, they would have tasted lovely. Um, I disagreed with Mary. Francis didn't stack her cake centrally. They were all pushed to the back a little bit so that you had a definite front and a definite back. And Mary said she would have liked to have had it all swirling down the back of the cake. Maybe, but, you know, if if you've got a front of the cake, you've got a front of the cake. And, and it was pretty obvious that that was the case. So I did disagree with Mary a bit, but maybe fashions have changed over the last 10 years. I, I like to design, and I really like to... F- Flavours she'd got. The pistachio, orange and carrot cake sounded delicious. Lemon and raspberry, classic combination. And the rhubarb and ginger. I know they were going, oh, I don't see what the rhubarb adds to the ginger. Didn't taste it, couldn't tell you. But rhubarb and ginger, I thought, was a fairly classic combination. So I'm not sure I agreed with them about that. I was very sad they didn't point out the pineapple flowers because Shabira last series did a cake covered in pineapple yes, flowers, which they all raved about and said, oh, this is amazing and blah, blah, blah. We've never seen anything like this before. But then I thought, oh, hold on a moment. Francis has made pineapple flowers and nobody commented on it. Hmm. So I think for me, Francis was the winner. I think the other two really fell down with their decoration. Again, I wasn't quite sure what Paul was saying. The colours didn't work. I didn't see anything wrong with the colours that she chose, to be perfectly honest. I don't know what Paul was talking about. Uh, Maybe it looked different in the tent uh, on my screen. But I did think Kimberly again. I mean, for somebody who I've admired so much and would have put down as my winner for this series, 
thought hers really looked very scruffy. I thought the stamp didn't work because you could see where she missed bits putting the stamp on and then it was overlaid. And I know decorating isn't her forte, but it wasn't great. I would have been incredibly disappointed had I been a bride and, and got that one. So sorry, Kimberly. And and just my last thing and then I'll shut up. <laughs> the checkerboard cake, it's a great way of doing it, is cutting it out like that. She's the other way is piping because you know, circles of different colours, which isn't quite so accurate. But Prue said to me when I was on the Christmas special and I did my penguin cake, she said it falls apart when you cut it. It might not have appeared on, on the edit, but it falls apart when you cut it because you have just stuck bits of scut sponge together. Well, her checkerboard cake completely fell apart. And I think they did need gluing together with something. Now, uh, maybe a thin layer of buttercream or a thin layer of raspberry jam would have done it. But when you cut it and the whole thing then falls apart into little squares, I don't think it's a particularly attractive way of serving a cake. So I think... At this stage, I thought it was perhaps between Francis and Ruby, and Kimberly had fallen at the final hurdle, I think. For me, it was Francis. I liked all her flavours the best, I think. Yeah, I think Kimberly really fell down because, well, something Paul said stuck out to me, which is he said, the outside doesn't reflect the inside. And I thought, to one level, that's largely irrelevant with a wedding cake because you want a consolidated theme on the outside and the layers will all necessarily be different inside because you gem or are you are well for the brief and often you have a different varieties of cakes so that people who have their preferences can have a slice of whatever cake they prefer but yeah it really didn't match you had sort of the checkerboard and then what on earth was the top one lemon and poppy seed was the top one yeah, and they sort of like they didn't have any sort of correlation with the outside and just sort of didn't really make any sense, did it? So I sort of got that. And also, one of the things about a wedding cake, when you have it in tiers, it's really important for the overall sort of presentation is to have really straight sides on your tiers. And hers were kind of slumped. They were fatter at the bottom than they were at the top. And it just kind of looked like a big pile of cake rather than a nicely tiered cake. So, yeah, I think Kimberly really struggled. And I think Ruby, it was a shame... Ruby's just looked a little bit like there wasn't six hours of work in the decoration. It just looked a little bit like, oh, my God, shove it all together at the last minute, which, I mean, admittedly, that is generally the Bake Off experience, but uh, you don't want it to look like that, you know? <laughs> so I thought that was a bit of a shame. And I think the problem with the colour scheme was she had one cake that was orange, one cake that was sort of ready, and one cake that was kind of pinky. And the red and the pink kind of clashed with each other, in my opinion. This is a chip that I picked up over the years, is if you want to have like an ombre effect, you colour one piece of buttercream and then use that to colour with white to colour the next bit and use that one to colour white with the next bit. So it's the same shade of pink, but just in dif different intensities. And if you're going to have two very similar shades, like the pink and the red, I think it makes sense to make them from the, the exact same colour so that they match more completely. And I think maybe that would have made a difference, but I think she just struggled to finish. And I think without the the ability to use nice neat cutters and she was just totally freehanding that by the look of it i think she really struggled to get the decoration done it was just kind of a bit of a shame i'm sure they didn't have much time to prepare for this and six hours seems like a long time but in reality to make a three-tiered cake that is really isn't a lot of time at all i don't think i would have had the ability to have done much better than that myself so it's not a criticism you know necessarily of their abilities but it's uh it's a criticism of what's achievable in the time maybe i think also what slightly irritated me as as well with ruby's cake is that all the cakes were a sponge with a curd 
And, you know, at least Kimberly and Francis had done slightly fruitier cake or a chocolatier cake. And they'd just given, I feel like they'd given a little more thought. It doesn't come across quite so mean because I've no idea how much thought you put into it. I'm sure you put lots of thought into it. But I just would have liked a little more technique for the cakes. It was too samey. Yeah. You've got to make something that's firm. I don't imagine they're all going to start making a Genoese sponge for the bottom layer. But, you know, something something else. Every layer was a fruit cake. It was just fruit and, and something creamy. So it was a curd and a, a cream and then was it fresh raspberries and mascarpone? So it was it wasn't every it felt a bit samey, whereas the others didn't. And I I think Jane I don't know if you agree about the ginger and rhubarb. I think rhubarb with a bit of ginger is lovely, but I do think that Paul was probably right that the ginger would have overwhelmed the rhubarb a bit, but at least it was interesting. At least that was something a bit different. Yes, I do I do agree. I think the ginger probably would have st- stood alone, and I don't know what I would have done to make sure that that rhubarb wasn't too wet and didn't make the cake soggy, which he didn't seem to have done. He just They just didn't like the, the rhubarb in there. I think they thought it was just a waste of time and probably right. I mean, let's go back to what we said earlier. You don't get a lot of time to think about this challenge. If it was the same as my year, only the semi-finalists knew what were going to be the challenges for the final. Therefore, you only have about 10 days to prepare for it and you have the semi-final somewhere in the middle. So to be totally fair to all of them, the amount of thought you can give to it depends on what you're doing for your job or whether you're looking after children or whether you've got to take elderly parents somewhere, you know, or, or just general life. So they don't have much time to prepare for the final challenge. That's fair. It is a big ask of the, um, of the final showstopper. But there we have it. That was our final challenge. And as I'm sure all of our listeners already know, because you've watched it or we've spoiled it halfway through the episode, it was Francis who was crowned this series winner, 2013. Yes, 10 whole years ago. Bless her. She did really, really well. Uh, She finally managed to get her style over substance in control and won, came away with with the trophy. Now, Howard, I just want to ask you something before we finish. I love at the end of a Bake Off series when you have since Bake Off and you have everything that everybody's done since Bake Off at the end. I believe your little writing bit, Howard, was Howard has been inundated with requests to make cakes and for Paul the Polar Bear, he has not made custard since. (laughs) Obviously, that was 10 years ago. But how do they come up with that? Do they contact you and ask you about it did you write that i didn't write that they obviously ask you certain information about what what you've done since and the bit about being inundated with with requests for cake was probably true it infuriates me that they still call that a polar bear when it sat in the in the black forest (laughs) (laughs) that global warming But you have made custard sins, so that's fine. I have many, many, many times. times. Yeah. <laughs> but although Francis won, I think we can all agree that the indisputed star of uh, season four was, of course, the lovely Howard. And oh, um... so sweet. Do you know that it's really, really weird? Because at the point when they announce who the winner is, there's just a little bit in you that thinks, I wonder whether they might just say they made a terrible mistake and actually it's me. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> The winner is Howard. (laughs) Your cake for the showstopper was fantastic. Well done. 
We have had a fantastic time reviewing season four. It's been lovely to go back. I think we've we've all had a little bit of an eye opener as to what series four was like 10 whole years ago. And of course, it brought us Howard. So we are all the better for that series. Thank you so much, everybody who has listened and sent us questions and joined our classes. Please don't forget, guys, that your next class you can book with us. You can get a 10% discount by using the code podcast. We hope to see you very soon. We have lots of very exciting classes coming up. We have a new blueberry mousse cake with Jane. We have a vertical lemon and raspberry roll cake with Karen and lots of beautiful classes coming up very soon for summer. So please get booking. Thank you so much, all our lovely listeners, Jane, Howard and Dan. Thank you so much to you guys. We will see you soon for our next series of podcasts. Bye-bye, everybody. You just heard a stripped media production. 